I am extremely thankful that we, that I am a child of the King, because the Bible says, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, even if Randy accuses me of stealing something. (laughs) Though I keep looking over there, Randy, to make sure I didn't take it, but I'm feeling awfully guilty for some reason. (laughs) Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And you're going to be scratching your head if you've been with us in this in this study of First Corinthians. You're going to be scratching your head. Just just bear with me. I promise. I promise it'll make sense in a moment. So I want you to, to go ahead though and place your finger on verse 17. I, I know I'm missing 16 verses here. We're, we're going to come back to that. Okay. We're going to come back to those other verses in just a moment. But but go to First Corinthians chapter seven, beginning uh, there in verse 17. And, and due to the amount that we have to that we that I want us to get into in this text, I, we're gonna we're gonna jump in. If you just remember, this is a, a letter written to a church to correct some bad behavior and practices. Corinth was a very dysfunctional church, and Paul is writing to correct these things. Um, there's going to be a transition happening here. In chapters 1 through 6, I'll explain, and then in chapter 7, he's going to transition. Now, let me say that as a pastor, there are times when you come to, there, there are certain, when, you're, when you preach this way, when you preach through books, there are chapters and, and verses that you, sometimes you're just going, man, I, I really love, I'm excited, I can't wait to get there. And then there are chapters you're going, oh, man, really, you know? Chapter 7 for me was kind of just one of those a little bit, just wasn't as much excitement, but man, as I just dove into this, I became so excited about what you and I are about to walk through in a way that only God can do. He has motivated me, and I think there is some really good things here. Now, let me give you some, 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 some just a few pointers as we walk through this. Uh, we've got... Um, we've got a couple weeks of Easter coming up, so we'll, we'll, we'll skip and we'll come back to this. But this passage, is, this chapter is going to meet you and I where we are. And many a times it's a lot, a lot like the prodigal son. It's going to meet us in the muck of our own pig pen. But what happens is, is that God in his grace and mercy is going to bring us into his arms. Now, for some of you, and you're going to say, I'm no longer in the muck. I'm no longer in the pig pen, and praise God for that. But you'll be reminded of the muck and the pig pen that you were in, okay? But, but that's the beauty of this passage. It brings us into the arms of God. It's going to give us peace and clarity on some things. But it will require some work on our part. This is going to require some work on our part in unraveling what Paul has here. Because there's a lot of verses in chapter 7. And we're not going to cover everything today, but there's a lot of verses in chapter 7, and there's a lot of, uh, of topics and different things that we can teach, that can be taught on and pulled out. But what I want to do is, is I'm going to condense it down into two, marriage and singleness, which I believe Paul does here, marriage and singleness. And, and so this will be a series within a series like we've done before. And so chapter 7, is going, we're going to kind of stop here in chapter 7 and walk through this for a few weeks, Okay. And you'll see that this is a series in a series. But I want us to begin chapter 7, beginning in verse 17. Let's read this together. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one as God has called called each. In this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to be to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. 
Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters, notice what he says, what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Each man must remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. But if he who is called in the name of the Lord, but he is called in the Lord while a slave, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he is also called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price to do to uh, bought with a price. Do not become a slaves of men, brethren. Each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. As I said, you may be wondering, did Brother Brian, is he losing it? Is he not wanting to all this talk of preaching systematically and, and expository sermons? And here he is skipping 16 verses. And, and, and some of those verses, you know, maybe a little bit uncomfortable to preach and uncomfortable to talk about as we talk about marriage and physical intimacy. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. And there is a reason for this. And, there's, and the reason is, is I want, you to, I want you to get a very good understanding of this chapter and what Paul is doing so that we can walk through this with clarity. Now, in chapters 1 through 6, if you remember, chapter 1 began with Paul saying to the Corinthians, he says, Chloe, all right? He kind of threw Chloe under the bus. He said, Chloe's people have reported to me the things that are going on. And so you have chapters 1 through 6 where Paul dealing with the sins that are taking place in the church that no one's dealing with. And so you've got this group of individuals who have come to Paul and they say, Paul, here's what's going on in the church. And so Paul writes chapters 1 through 6 with this issue of, I've heard what's going on, let me give you some clarity, let me give you some instructions. But in chapter 7, notice verse 1 for a moment. He says, now concerning the things about which you wrote. And so there in chapter, chapter 7, verse 1, Paul now makes there a transition, a switch. He's going from the things that he heard about and the things that, he, that Chloe's people had told him to be that was going on to now he wants to answer questions. You see, there was a letter that, that he wrote that we do not have. It would have been considered literally the, the first letter of Corinthians, and this would have been the second letter. But we don't have the first, so we, we call this one 1 Corinthians, okay? And, and so, but somewhere in the midst of those two letters, the Corinthians wrote Paul. And so they, they wrote to Paul, and so they, they do what most church people do with an, a pastor or someone. Um, Brother, I've got this thing going on in my home. I've got this thing going on at work. Can you help me out, Right? Where they, they, what does the Lord want me to do? And so Paul, being a pastor, being someone who is shepherding the people, he wants to answer their questions. He wants to help them. And so they have asked these questions pertaining to Christianity and to life in general. And so Paul, from chapter 7 all the way pretty much to the end, from here on out in the rest of the book, is Paul answering questions about certain topics and certain things going on in the church. Now, if you remember from last week or, or just in how we've talked about uh, the context of this, the church and the city that it lived in, in the city of Corinth, if you remember, they were living in the midst of a very wicked society, a very perverse culture. And it's very much like we are today. Uh, I think it is about time, church, that you and I come to a point where we stop making excuses for America. I really do. I think it's about time that you and I stop making excuses for America and trying to make excuses because of the history of America. We are living in a perverse society. I don't know if you know this, but I believe it was in Utah, maybe wrong, but a, a, a transgender won uh, a beauty contest in, I think it was in Utah, and so she's like the first transgender, you know, beauty 
queen, whatever. Uh, I just found, I saw yesterday where in uh, uh, ESPN Sports Illustrated, in this coming summer edition or whatever, maybe the next month, they will have, there on their swimsuit edition, they will have a transgender, okay? And so you and I are the only ones appalled by this. I would hope that you are. I would hope that you and I are upset about this, that this kind of does something within us. But we are living in a very perverse generation where the things that are immoral and, and just goes against everything that God has called us to live by is being accepted in our culture. Well, that was Corinth. They, they, they were living in this kind of sexually immoral, um, saturated uh, city. And, and if you remember that, there was all this moral corruption that was going on. And so all kinds of brokenness was coming out of this immorality. We, we talked about this, that, that this type of immorality has far-reaching consequences, okay? Yes, all sin is a, a crime against the Lord, but not all sin is the same when it comes to the brokenness and the consequences of sin. And so you had, very much like today there in Corinth, the acceptance of homosexuality and, and these other things. You had divorce and, and, and multiple remarriages and prostitution and incest. You had, you had this casual uh, attitude toward these sins. And it was damaging the city and it was influencing the church. But not only that, is, is that these, these people, these Corinthians that were in the church were saved in the midst of that brokenness. And like us, they came to a very startling reality. Salvation does not mean an easier life. It doesn't mean an easier life. J.I. Packer said one of the cruelest things that we are doing in the American re, uh, religion culture is, is that we are telling people that once you are saved, you will have no more problems and no more issues. But that's not the case. We, we still have to deal with sin. We still have to deal with, with brokenness. We still have to, we go through hard times. Even the Bible tells us that the Lord himself chastens us. And so, so we understand that, that, that life in general has got these issues. And that once you're saved, all the brokenness doesn't disappear. All the problems that you have just don't disappear. So, so a Christian parent gets saved and it's like, okay, now my family is no longer going to be messed up, right? My kids are always going to obey me. <laughs> yeah, that don't work out, right? The husband gets saved and he says, okay, my wife will respect me, right? I, I get saved, I go to work, and, and everybody at work is not going to cuss around me. Or whatever the case may be, right? They, they came to the startling reality that salvation doesn't mean an easier life. If anything, it makes things more difficult. In John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus prayed, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. In other words, beloved, that when you and I are saved, especially in a perverse and wicked genera- uh, uh, society, He doesn't take us out of it. He doesn't fix the brokenness so it'll be easier for you. You have to do what he says here in verse 19. He says, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God right where you are. And so in other words, below salvation does not change the state of your conditions in your life. We are not removed from the brokenness of this world when we are saved. We do not go from the desert to to the Garden of Eden. We do not go from the valley to the mountaintop. We get to live our Christianity right where God saved us. Which, by the way, is a variety of conditions. All you have to do today is look around this church and you will see 
that we're not all, we, we don't all have the same conditions. My conditions with me and my family may be different than your conditions. But the command or the goal is still the same, that we must, that we must serve the Lord. And so what we find is, is that there are a variety of conditions. There are those who are, who are single, who are going to live their life single. Whether it may be that they never married or whether they were divorced or they were widowed. Their husband or their wife died. There are those who, when they come to salvation, maybe their spouse never came to salvation. And so, or maybe they married someone who was never saved. And so, therefore, you have a marriage now where you are married to an unbeliever. Or maybe you have the, the, the deal of where um, you're, you're, you know, where you're both married, you're both saved, but, but you've, got this pa- you've got this baggage, you've got this history, you've got these, these sins, these addictions, and that they're, you've carried them into your marriage, you've carried them into this new life in Christ. And so you and your marriage, you've, you know, you've got to work this through. Well, this is the reality that led the Christians of Corinth to ask the question to Paul, ask these questions to Paul. And so they were living in a, in a culture where sexual morality was very perverse and they were living now as Christians in a church where there were people who were, who were single by whatever reason and they were married. And so they, had, they asked Paul, they said, Paul, this is how we used to live. Now we're here. Is, is, is physical intimacy okay? Do, do we need to abstain from this and be celibate? Because you're telling those who are not married that they have to. So what do we do, Paul? Or, or I'm, a, I'm married to an unbeliever. My, my spouse does not love the Lord and I'm going to church by myself without my spouse. Do I need to divorce my spouse and go find a Christian spouse? Or I've been divorced and remarried. And, and so, you know, now I look back and I realize what happened in my, in my first marriage. And, and so, Paul, do I, do I need to divorce my, my second spouse or my third spouse and then go back to the first one, Right? Or I am currently undermarried, unmarried for whatever reason. Do I need to become married or do I need to stay widowed? There were all of these questions. And this is what I love about Scripture. Because you've asked these questions. And you are living in these conditions, aren't you? Because this is real. This is real stuff. This is the world that you and I live in, and this is the world that we are saved, that when God calls us to himself, we are, we are called in these conditions. And all of a sudden, you, out of, the, out of this, new, this new life in you and this new goal of bringing glory and honor to the Lord and wanting to live for God, you want, you want to do it to the best of your ability. And so you have all of these questions of, Lord, how do I live in this? And these questions may come from a very pure heart, but beloved, if we're not careful, we can have a misunderstanding here. And what happens is, is that you and I begin to believe with our hearts and our minds that it would be better for us to glorify God. It would be better for us to have joy and peace and live for God if I changed my circumstances. If I change the conditions in which I am living and I go to another condition, I go to another way of life here. And so this is the big idea of verses 17 through 24. You are to live in the assignment that God has called you. The big idea is that you are to live in the assignment or on the path in which you were saved. Three times in this verse, he will say the same principle. Remain in the condition in which you were called. In other words, you must live for God and follow the commands of God where God has saved you right there. 
It doesn't mean that life will not change in a few years. It doesn't mean that, 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 that certain conditions cannot change. But right now, presently, your focus and your mindset should be to remain in the condition in which you were called. Meaning that you are to bring glory and honor in whatever condition, whatever circumstance you are in right now. So notice what he says here when he goes through these verses. He talks about the uncir- or the circumcised do not become the circumcised. In other words, the Jew does not become the Gentile. The Jew is not to say, Lord, if I was a Gentile, I could bring glory and honor to your name. The Gentile, the, the uncircumcised, does not look to the Jew and go, Hey, Lord, if I was a Jew, I would have more joy in my life, Right? Then he looks to the slave and he goes, Hey, slave, you bring glory and honor to God even if you can't have freedom. If you can get your freedom, praise God, get your freedom. But if you can't, you live and obey the commands of God in that condition. And if you become free, hey, free man, don't become a slave. Obey God and live for God in that condition. Hey, hey, married people, bring glory and honor to God in your marriage. Married, but married to an unbeliever. Hey, live for God in that situation. Single, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, in this condition that you're living in, and it may change over time, but, but, but bring glory and honor in your assignment, in your calling. The big idea, beloved, here is that God saves us in our conditions. And we must walk in those conditions where He saved us. Now, let me say this. I, I, want, to do two, I want to give you two things of application here. Number one, beloved, hear me on this. I think, we, I think for us to pass over this would be wrong. But can you and I today just say, Thank you, Lord. That God saves us in whatever condition that we're in. Maybe you came in here this morning and you're saying, Brother Brian, but you have no clue. You have no clue what kind of marriage I'm in. You have no clue what my children are doing. You have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what I'm doing right now. You don't know the brokenness. You don't know the road that I am walking in right now. And so, and so you, I mean, there, there's really no hope here, Brian. There's no hope of reconciliation in the marriage. There's no, there's no hope for me in this situation. Beloved, hear me on this. The God of heaven says there is. He gives his son to come in, who came to this world and live perfectly in all of the brokenness and in all of the temptations and all of the things that this world is, the wicked and perverse world that Christ came, lived perfectly, died willingly, substituted his life for you and rose from the grave. That whatever condition you are in this morning, no matter what it is, God can save you and he can begin to help you walk in that condition. He can begin to help restore that condition. For the glory of his name, you are not beyond saving this morning. Amen? Amen. So whoever you are, maybe your condition is, is I've been going to this church all my life and everybody thinks I'm saved. And, and, and I don't, what are they? Who cares what your condition is? Get over it. Stop making excuses. And embrace the saving grace and power of God. Who meets us in the pig pens. And who saves us and brings us in the arms of the Father. 
And so I call on you today, I call on you, I beg of you this morning that, that, that you must rise up and come to the Father this morning. Come to the Father, just like these Christians who were living in all of these things. I, I mean, especially even the one who says, I'm a slave. Can you save a slave like me? I can save a slave like you. And I am so, uh, and not only can I save you, but I can do one of two things. I can even bring you out of your slavery, or even if you stay in your slavery, brother, I can walk with you in it. This is the beauty of our God. This is the beauty of our Jesus. This is the beauty, by the way, of the church that God saves broken people. And then notice what he says in verse 24. Brethren, each one, who is, each one is to remain with God in that condition. Don't, don't miss that. So not only is God, beloved, able to save you this morning in whatever condition that you are living in, don't, don't miss this. God remains with you as you walk through these conditions. There are those of you in here who think that if you could somehow change your circumstances, your life will be better and more suited to live for God. You could not be further from the truth. And this happens a lot as your pastor. I hear this a lot. I've heard this for years in, in this church and other churches and other places. I have had people come and say, Brother Brian, if I, if I could just, if I wasn't married to this person, I, 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 if I could just, if I could divorce this individual, they're not sane, they're, 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 they have addictions, they're, they're ungrateful, whatever the case, this individual that I am married to, if I could divorce them and go find me someone else, oh, I would have peace. I would have joy and I could live for God. You couldn't be further from the truth, love. He says here in verse 24 that not only can He save you in your conditions, but He remains with you in that condition. You see, we have this idea that God can save me from my sin, but He can't help me walk through the brokenness of my sin. Well, beloved, what kind of God is that? who can save me from, but he can't walk with me through. And so in verse 24, we have this promise that he is with us in our conditions. God is with you now, beloved. Whatever condition that you are in, whatever you are living in, he is with you on that path. It may be married or unmarried. It may be a good marriage. It may be a bad marriage. It may be single by divorce or single by death or, or single because we haven't found the right person yet. We, we haven't married. Whatever the case may be, there are those times in your life where you just think, if only I had this. If only I was like those people over there and had what they had. Or if only I was like those people over there, then I would be okay. And God is saying, what about me? I am with you. you got everything you need with me. Remain with me. And let me walk with you in these conditions. But also look at verse 17. He says, only as the Lord has assigned each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all churches. And so not only, beloved, is this about you and your salvation, that God can save you where you are. Not only is this about, about you walking in these conditions of whatever condition that God has given you. But FBC Jonesboro, hear me on this. Paul is saying here in verse 17 that I am commanding, that I am directing all churches to see this and understand this. That we are a faith family of people who are in different conditions and different things. We're not all the same. We don't have all the same life. 
We don't all have, you know, some have one child, some have four children, some may have more children, some may have no children, some may be married. Some, it's all different. And Paul is saying that the faith family needs to look inward, turn inward to one another and realize this. And that we need to begin to understand the church is made up of people saved in all different assignments and all different paths. It's not always pretty. It's not always neat. But we are directed to serve and to minister to one another where we are. So if you have a good marriage this morning, we're about to get into marriage in just a second. If you have a good marriage, what a blessing and what a blessing and a gift God has given you to help those who do not have good marriages. That if you have a good marriage, that if things are well in the marriage, and maybe it wasn't always that way, Paul is saying, look to those who are struggling and then you begin to help those. If you have a good marriage and you see those who may be widowed or those who are single or those who have divorced, they're, they're unmarried for whatever reason, beloved, understand where they are and begin to minister to them and begin to pray for them and love on them and work with them in those conditions. Have them into your house. Have them into the, in your home. Make the, widow your, make the widow one of your adopted grandmother. Amen? We call some of you Momo. My, my, our, our family looks to you and, and we say that, that you are our family and so we bring you in understanding that our condition and your condition and then hey look you single people you are the greatest gift to people who have four children especially if you babysit out of the goodness of your heart for free amen You're all laughing. This is not. This is not funny. This is real. Because some of you are our grandparents by faith, and you do help us. And I know that you that you may not realize what a blessing that is to us. Love, it is worth its weight in gold. And Paul is saying to the church, you need to understand that you're all in these different conditions. But that's okay. And so I want you now to go to verses 1 through 9. And we're going to begin looking here at the first condition that he gives. And it is marriage and physical intimacy. Because Paul, Paul is wanting us to see here that we're all different circumstances and situations and different paths, but, but there's a gift in each one of those. And so I want to deal with this first one. He says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even 
even as I, I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So he says every condition is a gift. And so I want you to see, because we've got a lot to cover, I want to begin looking at the one of marriage. We'll look at it again, and then we'll get into what he talked, where he gets into about the single here. But in verse 1, he says that the unmarried, those who are walking that path, Again, whether by divorce, whether by widowed, or whether by just have not married yet, Paul says, it's good that you do not touch a woman. It's good you do not touch a man. In other words, uh, uh, physical intimacy. He says, if you're unmarried, that's off the table. But he says, but if you're unmarried, it's okay. He, he's saying it's, it's honorable. Beloved church, hear me on this. We married people need to stop acting as though those who are not married are second class citizens because they're not. There, there, there's not this issue of those who are married up here and those who are not are down here. Or those who are unmarried, right, are up here and those who are married and have problems are down here. That, Paul's not saying that. He's saying we're in different conditions, but we're all, but we're all walking to, to bring glory to God here, okay? So he says to those who are single, he says this is honorable. Now, the greatest depth of teaching in the area of singleness will come later. So, so I'm going to get to that later. I want to focus in just this morning on this first part of marriage. So, so there in verses 2 and 9, Paul just to kind of summarize it says, Being single is a gift from the Lord, but marriage is also a gift from the Lord. Which is affirmed. We understand this from Old Testament to New Testament. Genesis 2.18, God said it is not good for Adam to be alone. Right? So, so we see that marriage is a gift. But Paul is going to frame this, this condition, alright? With the issue of physical intimacy with sex, okay? So, so apparently, because of the saturation of immorality in Corinth, because of what was going on in Corinth, these new Christians thought that they needed to become like the single people. If only I become like the single people and I abstain from physical intimacy and I become celibate, then I can, I can glorify God. I can, I can focus more on the Lord and live for Him, right? That's what they were thinking. Not only that, because of what they lived in, there was great temptation there. They had this temple to Aphrodite where a thousand prostitutes were, were, were uh, employed there, okay? And so we say, wow, that's really bad. Beloved, I think the internet is far worse than that. The temple of Aphrodite has been brought into our homes and brought into our televisions and brought onto our phone. And so there are great temptations there. And so, and so there's this idea that, that the monks used to have that I just need to separate myself from the world, abstain from everything, and, and, and just get away, lock myself in a room, and then I can, I can glorify God. And we've already established that Paul said, no, you're going to be walking in amongst these people, sharing the gospel with them. So here is the condition. He says, there are those of you who are married, but you're abstaining from physical intimacy, whether it's because you're wanting to fight against sexual temptation or whether it is because you're wanting to be like those who are unmarried and having, you know, focusing in on ministry or whatever. And Paul's answer to them is, is a decisive no. You are to walk according to your assignment. The unmarried must remain celibate, but the married are not only free, but encouraged to have regular physical intimacy within the marriage. And we look at this passage, and this is one of these passages that feminists hate. 
Because Paul talks about the body not being yours and it's the spouses. This is one of the passages that, that people really don't understand and they don't get. And I'm going to boil it down into two things that Paul is saying here. Number one, he says in verse two, number, the first thing is that we equally protect one another in marriage. Look at verse two. He says, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, each woman is to have her own husband. Notice what I said, equally protecting one another, equally. You'll see this throughout the text. Paul does not elevate the husband or the wife over the other. We understand the Bible affirms that the husband is the head of the house, the wife is the helpmate. There is a submissiveness there. But the Bible here, in talking in this context of physical intimacy, talking in this context of marriage right here, he, there's this equal responsibility to one another. And so this precious gift of physical intimacy that God has given, he has given to husband and wife and husband and wife only. This is not, you, this, you don't do this outside of marriage. It is a sin. But to the husband and wife, it is a gift to them. Don't, don't, don't reject this for whatever reason, unless the certain times of prayer or, or of need. But this gift is a gift from God for husband and wife, one man, one woman. Outside of marriage, it will be sinful. But within marriage, it is his gift. And yet, unfortunately, people are sinful and they do not follow the guidelines that God has given us. Corinth was a prime example of this. Again, the temple of Aphrodite. So how can a man, how can a married couple then handle such temptation? Or, or do they need to abstain from these things so they can be like the unmarried people and have, have more time of focus on things? Do we need to... Some, some of the greatest theologians of our day, beloved, uh, A.W. Tozer is one that comes to mind great writings. I love A.W. Tozer. But one of the things that he did very poorly was father his children. It is actually said that of all of his children, it wasn't until the last one, a little girl, and for some reason, little girls do that to dads, that he turned inward to his family. He actually neglected his family so that he could go and minister. And that was one of the things that was kind of against him on that. And Paul says, you don't do that. Those of you who are married, you must walk in your marriage and you must walk in it faithfully with one another. And so Paul says here, use the gift that God has given you, your spouse, because there are temptations out there, sexual, some sexual in nature and others not. Don't become a monk and run away and try to live some different lifestyle thinking that this is going to be better for you. No. Instead, God in his infinite wisdom concerning marriage has given us many benefits. And your marriage, by the way, involves one major wonderful treasure sanctification it is beneficial he says in fighting against the temptations that threaten our walk with God think back to chapter 6 and Paul's exhortation to flee immorality where where is the one who is fleeing immorality to run to well certainly run to God but who else can I flee to but to my spouse which seems to really go against the nature of marriage right because in our marriage today what do we tend to do but keep secrets not communicate. And Paul is sitting here saying, no, no, in marriage, beloved, when you are fighting against sin and you are fighting against temptation, whatever the nature of it may be, you have a spouse that God has given you that you may run to and flee to to help you fight off your sin. The greatest victory, beloved, the greatest asset that we have other than the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me and the Word of God to fight my sin is my wife. And your, you same with your spouse. God has given me someone in the trenches to fight against my temptations. And so, beloved, marriage helps us in our sanctification. That if you are married, know that you need to be walking in your marriage, not in some other condition. 
walk like married people with the goal of protecting one another from sin. Not just those that are, again, sexual in nature. There are, there are a host of sins out there that, that grab us and tempt us and can break up our marriage and, and hinder the glory of God, the gospel witness, hinder the investment of our Jerusalem and, and sharing the gospel, the investment of our church and all these different things. But for those who are married, love, recognize the gift. And you and I are to work together. Spouses are to work together to overcome sin. Whether it be, again, sexual in nature or other addictions. You've got a drinking problem. You've got a drug problem. Your spouse is not the one you hide it from. Your spouse should be the very one that should know about it. That that spouse is praying for you and walking with you in that. You've got an angry outburst. You get, you, sometimes you, get a little, you just get a little carried away. Or sometimes you talk too much. That's mine. And Melanie taps me on the elbow and says, you're talking too much. Right? Lying, stealing, pride. Whatever the case is, we are working together. We are protecting one another because we, because this is the path. These are the conditions that God has given us. And it is something to be thankful for. And so let me encourage you, for those of you who are, who are married, especially if you are married to a, to a believer, hear me, hear me on this this morning. Open communication. We're talking physical intimacy, beloved, but long before physical intimacy, there has to be intimacy in many other areas. Open communication, sharing with one another, communicating with one another. These are ways in which we're able to help protect one another from the temptations of the world. But then there's also the meeting of one's needs, whether they are physical or not. But meeting the physical needs as well. Spending time in prayer with your spouse. Reading through the word. Reading through the Bible with your spouse. Learning to be disciplined with your spouse. Are you noticing a pattern here? Doing things with your spouse. To fight against the temptations that want to ensnare you. But secondly, Paul also says, equally serving and providing for one another. So here, verse 3 through 6, notice this. This is the one that, as I said, the, the, the whole feminist movement hate. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So those, the, the feminist movement and the male chauvinist movement, you know, those people, you, it's me and you do what I say. That, that's not what this is. This right here is self-sacrificing our lives to serve for the betterment of the one that I say that I love the most. This is equal provision, equal serving. So if you remember in the previous chapter, Paul made the point that in salvation, our bodies do not belong to us alone. But in saving me, God says your body belongs to me. Use your body to glorify. But in marriage, not only does my body belong to the Lord, but I've joined myself to someone else. And so my body and her body are, are one in flesh. It's one flesh. And so I am not just, it's not just me that I care for. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28, Paul fleshes this out. And he says that a man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. For no man ever hated his body. He cares for his body. He, he, he protects his body, right? 
So if you love yourself, you love your body, what do you do? You feed your body, you wash it, you protect it, you bandage it when you've got a wound, you take medicine when you're sick, you care for your own body. Well, in marriage, what's happened is I've become one flesh with someone else. And Paul is saying you need to walk in that by caring for the body of the one that God has given you. As though it's yours. And likewise, this this is not an issue of you belong to me, I belong to you. This is an issue of I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you even if you don't serve me. Because I love you just as I love my own body. When, When I do premarital counseling, one of the things that I share all the time is And I do believe that this is what's interesting is that some people go into marriage with this idea that I'm marrying this person and that person's going to make me happy by doing all kinds of things for me. They're going to cook for me and I'm going to be happy. They're going to go home and bring home lots of money and I'm going to be happy and have things. We're always going to snuggle and always just, they're going to greet me when I walk through the door with a smile. (laughs) Yeah, those things don't happen. But there's that idea that if, that if you do your part, I'll be happy. You do your part, I'll be happy. And so in, in premarital counseling, I tell them, that if, you're, if that's why you're marrying one, don't marry. You marry with the goal of, I'm going to give my life in serving to make you happy. And when you do that, then the other person... Hopefully, you know, they have the same goal. But if they're not, you win them over out of gratitude that... My husband washed the dishes. You know, he did this or what. Whatever it is, they reciprocate in love and affection as well. Beloved, to abstain. To not care for the physical body of our spouse is not only cruel and harmful, it is unbiblical. We give ourselves to our spouses to meet their needs. And again, not all of this is just, it's just sexual in nature. This, this is more than just scratching an itch and, and more than just eating food. This is loving one another and serving one another and sacrificing to meet the well-being of another. And here's the thing, married couples, hear me on this. I know you love Facebook because Facebook, you get the hearts and the likes. Nobody knows these things in, your, in those four walls, what you do for your spouse. No one knows that, that, that of all the meals that you cook and all the diapers that you change. And no one knows about, about all, the, all the little things, the, the yards that you raked. And no one knows about all, you washed your, your spouse's car. No one, no one knows those but your spouse. That's true self-sacrifice. That you would do these things for the one that you've covenanted with. And whether or not they appreciate it or the world even know it, you have given your life to love them and to care for them and to meet their needs. So what does this mean? It means that we seek to serve our spouses. The need may be physical or it may be emotional. But whatever the need is, I do not withhold that need from them. 
Even if you think it's beneficial, even if you think it's spiritual, Paul says you do not withhold the knee. In true self-sacrifice, you give your life to care for and to love your spouse. It may be physical intimacy, or maybe it's emotional. You just need to hang out and cry a little bit. Or maybe it's conversation. You just need to talk about what happened, you know, through the day and and process these emotions. You may need to just have conversation. It may just be that you just take a day off and you just hang out with your spouse. It may be that you help or you encourage. Whatever the case is, there are needs on both sides of the aisle. And God has said, do not withhold from one another. And here's the reason why. In Ephesians chapter 5. What we find here is, and this is probably one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, what we find is, is that Paul says that when we, when we protect one another and when we love one another, we are an illustration of the gospel. So listen to what he says, Ephesians 5. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he may sanctify her. Where did we see that? Providing for one another, protecting one another, right? Serving one another. He says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle for any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, and he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Paul says, I know that you think that if you go and do these other things that you will somehow bring glory to God in a different way or find more joy and peace. And he says, no. For those of us who are married, beloved, hear me in this. And we're going to get into the, the troubled marriage next time. But, but those who are married, Paul is saying that if you will protect one another and serve one another in your marriage, you will portray the gospel of Jesus Christ. The one who left heaven, who came and protected you and served you by laying his life on the cross of Calvary. That in your marriage, when you forgive one another and love one another and overcome these difficulties, you are portraying a God who loves us and is unwilling to walk out on us or to divorce us because of our sin. But covers our sin by the blood of the Lamb. And so, beloved, hear me this morning. Walk in your condition and bring glory and honor to God in your marriage. In in whatever condition it is, you are to serve in such a way that the gospel of Jesus Christ is portrayed. That the world will know that just as you love and as you serve and as you care for the one in in your marriage, there is a God in heaven who loves us more and cares for us, who protects and serves us. Let's pray.